Praise be to God. Our scripture passage this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm here to tell you there is bliss in the thought that our sin has not been dealt in part, but it has been dealt with in the whole. But there is a bliss altogether more to hear that song by the saints. So it is a joy to sing with you week in and week out. Um, Before we pray, uh, we have some people to send off. So Benjamin and Taylor Davis, we all stand up, please. Benjamin and Taylor have been members here for the last couple of years, and they are moving to Louisville, Kentucky to pursue theological training there. And so we want to praise God for them and send them on their way. They have been called to ministry, and we're blessed and glad to send them out, although we're sad to see them leave. Uh, But Blake mentioned earlier the giving that we give that goes towards missionaries. Well, this also goes to people like Benjamin and Taylor. Part of our cooperative giving within the Southern Baptist Convention cuts the tuition for Southern Baptist students in Southern Baptist seminaries in half. And so we're grateful to be able to send Benjamin Taylor. So uh, let's pray for them this morning. Father, we thank you for Benjamin and Taylor. Thankful for their friendship and their ministry amongst us. And we are glad to send them. We are glad to send them, knowing that they will serve you. We thank you for SBTS. We thank you for the faithful seminary that it is and that we can send them with joy, knowing that they will be taught by faithful men and women there. We thank you for providing a job for Taylor and we thank you for providing for them in this way. Uh, We thank you that circumstances cause them to be in Abilene another year and to bless us, but now we know it's time. So Father, we pray that they would go and they would serve a church there well, they would join quickly, be encouraged by the saints, and that Father, whatever ministry you call them to permanently, that they would be able to serve in joy and they would be able to serve for your glory. And we pray for more. We pray for more from our midst that would go. They would go to theological training. They would go to missions. They would go to plant churches. Father, we want to be a church that sins. But if we're going to be a church that sins, we've got to have people that will go. So we pray for many more. We pray that maybe even at future IME missionary commissioning service that there would be Southside members on the stage. Father, we know that you are working. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so raise up more from amongst us. Father, we have much to be thankful for. One of those things is the recent Supreme Court decision in Fulton versus Philadelphia. We thank you that the Supreme Court has unanimously decided that it is right for Christian organizations to operate within the 
adoption and foster care arena by their convictions. Father, we pray that with this new um, ruling that these organizations would press onward in the, in the role that they have. But Father, we know that their role is only supplementary to what we as the church are called to. So Father, use this in our life as a church to, to make us a people that care for the vulnerable, that care for widows and orphans, that seek to do adoption and foster care. We thank you for so many families within our church that are already pursuing that or already in the midst of it. Again, we pray for more. This is part of the going, not just going to the nations, but going to the vulnerable. Father, make us a people that reach out, reach out to um, families in need, orphans in need. And we thank you that, that as of now, our government is pressing in a way that supports that. Father, we want to pray for gospel work in other places. This morning, we want to thank you for the First Baptist Church of Ira and their pastor, Ben Moore. Uh, we thank you for their faithful uh, proclamation of the gospel, and we pray for Ben and his wife as they have welcomed in a new baby. Pray that that would be smooth and that the church would wrap their arms around them. We pray for our brother Josh Ward as he preaches there this morning. May he preach with boldness and with clarity. May your gospel continue to be proclaimed in gospel outposts like FBC Ira. And Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, may we see it for what it is, your word and authority over us. Let us submit to it gladly and with joy, knowing that you will work in us what you will for your glory and our good. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. If you haven't already, please turn to Philippians chapter four, verse 10. And as you're turning there, if you follow the sporting world at all, you might have seen a headline announcing that a new up and coming tight end was signed by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now it may seem a little odd because this tight end was formerly a minor league baseball player. And before that, he was an NFL quarterback. And before that, he was a quarterback, Heisman winning, championship winning at the Florida Gators. If you haven't picked up what I'm laying down, I'm talking about Tim Tebow. Now whether he'll see any playing time this year or not is yet to be seen, but it's just interesting. Now I don't want to pick on him too much because he's much bigger than I am and could mess me up pretty easily. But one of the things that Tim Tebow is famous for is being an outspoken Christian. And I just want to state, I'm, I'm grateful for this brother. Seems to be consistent in his faith, has been consistent in his gospel proclamation. But I do have one bone to pick with him. Commonly, when Tim Tebow was playing football, particularly in Florida, he would wear eye black and underneath he would write Bible verses. And one of those Bible verses was one that we have in front of us, Philippians 4.13. And as much as I'm grateful for Tim... Philippians 4.13 has very little to do with winning football games. And so to close out this somewhat unofficial series that Cody started a couple weeks ago of popular passages put in their proper place, we approach this text this morning. And so I want to say, as, as Cody reminded us a couple weeks ago, as Brant showed us last week, the proper place of any passage, obscure or popular, is in authority over us. So let's submit to this text together. I'm going to read it again. Let's dive in. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I wonder if you're here this morning and you are just trying to get by. There's something about your circumstances, whether it's your financial circumstances, your relational, your spiritual, whatever the case may be, you may be just scraping by, getting by the skin of your teeth. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're swimming in abundance. The bank account is full, things are good, life at home is peaceful, your job is fulfilling, things are everything that you dreamed it would be. Well, this morning, this text speaks to you both. It is about finding contentment and finding contentment only in the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you're not following Christ, if you're not a believer, if you're not a part of what Jesus is doing in the world, then I would have you listen with ears that look for the appealing message that is in this text, that contentment in this life and in the next can be had for you. So listen well. Because the reality is, is that contentment is hard to find. One author put it this way, that, that finding contentment, particularly in the ways of the world, is like gaping your mouth at the wind expecting to be filled. Hoping that if you open your mouth long enough and the wind blows hard enough that you will be filled. But the problem is, is we were not made for the wind. We were made for something more. And so we will not be satisfied by the wind. We will be satisfied by God alone. And so that's where Paul begins this text. He says in verse 10 that he rejoiced that the Philippian church was able to support him in his work. This letter is in response to a gift that the Philippian church had given him. And if you'll recall, Paul had established this church probably in Acts 16. And he had since gone away and was now likely in a Roman prison. But they had wanted to help him. They had sent word that they wanted to help him, but had not been able to until recently. And so Paul says, I rejoiced because you revived your concern for me. But notice Paul's rejoicing is not because of the gift. Paul is not rejoicing because their gift changed his circumstances. Why does he rejoice? Look down in verse 17 briefly. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul rejoices not because their gift changes circumstances, but he knows that God will use their gift for his purposes and the Philippians will receive the credit. Paul rejoices. And so Paul is ecstatic. He talks about their gift being a fragrant offering, pleasing to God. And so Paul's chief motivation for joy is not a change in his circumstances, but the joy of the gift that the church will actually benefit because of their service to Christ. And so, verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In the midst of describing his joy, Paul shifts and talks about his circumstances in particular. And he talks about how he has learned, he has learned the secret to be content in all things. Now, contentment is not popular to talk about within the American church, and I think part of the reason why is because typically we are described as swimming in abundance. We typically, within the Western American church, lack nothing. 
And I have fallen into the trap of considering contentedness to only be concerned with lack or need. But this text tells us otherwise. And so let's look at it with those things in mind, that in whatever circumstance, we are to be content. And so that's where this text starts. Contentment is something to be obeyed. It is a command to be obeyed. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This is reiterated in other passages. Hebrews 13.5 puts it this way. Keep your life from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This command is also rooted in the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet. Covet your neighbor's house or wife or servant. Whatever he has, covets. Do not covet because it is your neighbor's. It's not yours. See, to covet is to desire something that you do not have. It is the outworking of a discontent heart. It has always been the command of God's people to be content in God's fatherly care. And this is true because it testifies to God's kind and sufficient care on behalf of his children. See, to want something that God has not given is to call into question the nature of God. It questions his love for his children. It questions his faithfulness to his word and to his promises. It questions his merciful disposition towards an undeserving people. It questions the outworking of his sovereignty in all circumstances. So contentment is something to be obeyed. But if we're going to obey it, we have to be like Paul, understand that contentment is a skill to be learned. It's what he says there in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then he goes on to verse 12, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, Paul was certainly in need. He was a Roman prisoner and it wasn't common for the Roman guard to care for their prisoners with medical care and for food. That must come from the outside. Paul is dependent on an outside benefactor just to live and yet here he says, I am not in need, I am content. And he talks about it being learned like a secret. Now this is not a secret as though he had to go and find some new revelation. No, this is like a skill to mature in, right? The secret to being good at something is to practice it to practice it over the long haul. This is what it means to learn the secret. If we're gonna learn the secret of contentment, then we ought to define contentment. Jeremiah Burroughs, a, um, a, a Puritan, wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I highly commend this book to you. You can go find it online for free, download the ebook, download the audiobook. It's really helpful. But he defines contentment this way. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Let me read that one more time. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Now, if you, don't, if you didn't wake up this morning exemplifying this definition of contentment, welcome to the club. No one wakes up in the morning in their flesh is content. 
It's rooted in our human nature, our fallen human nature, to be discontent. And when we look at the nature of sin, particularly the nature of the original sin of Adam and Eve, there's a lot of sin that we can find at the root. We could find pride and idolatry. But I would argue that discontentment is also a part of it. Think about it. Adam and Eve were given every tree that was pleasing to the sight and good for food. But the lie of the serpent was God has withheld something from you. The lie of the serpent is that you should want this one thing more. And doesn't that same lie hiss in our hearts today? Subtly suggesting that God has withheld something good and or necessary from us. This is discontentment. So to be content, we must be taught, we must be shown how to be content in all circumstances. And there's a few ways that Paul shows us, even from the book of Philippians, how this is done. The first, and we sang about this so beautifully with It Is Well With My Soul, we learn contentment by understanding that our eternal salvation is undeserved. See, there is nothing that will fill your heart with contentment more than to lower yourself in a posture of humility before God. To divest from your own self-righteous claims is in essence to create a vacuum within your heart that will naturally fill with contentment. To paraphrase Burroughs on this, the discontent is always looking for more. But the self-denying man wonders that he has as much as he does. And this is what Paul does earlier in the letter. Flip back a page or two to Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. Paul lays out his resume, why he has every right to make a self-righteous claim. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, it is when we recognize the undeserved nature of our salvation that we will come to behold the kind and benevolent God that we serve. And the fact that he has not withheld anything that would be described as good. See, it is the odd dynamic of discontentment that both overvalues our worthiness to demand something of God and undervalues the gifts that God has and wants to give us. Let me say that again. Discontentment both overvalues our worthiness to demand something from God and undervalues the gifts God has and wants to give us. I mean, just hear these two texts this morning, and if you were in Christ, these are true for you. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? 
Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, it is when we dwell on these eternal truths of the gospel that our excuses and motivations for discontent are undermined. They will fade from the glory, from the glory we see in Christ. So we understand We grow in contentment by understanding that our eternal salvation is undeserved. The second way that we grow in our contentment is we recognize that our earthly concerns are known. We see here that Paul mentions his earthly concerns. He talks about how he was brought low, how he abounded, how he learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, it is our earthly concerns that are the temptations for discontentment. So how does Paul learn to be content in imprisonment, in hunger, when he's beat, when he's sick, when he's experiencing a thorn in the flesh? Part of our fuel for contentment is to understand that all circumstances come by way of our Father's care and loving preservation of our souls. See, it is by recognizing the active concern of God for us that we realize that our our, uh, contentment is not opposed to petitions. See, it would go against all of Philippians and all of the Bible to suggest that a marker of contentment is a silent enduring of hardship. I mean, just think about Burroughs' definition. He said a quiet submission, but not a silent one. See, I think Paul has reminded us and reminds the church of Philippians earlier in this book. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. See, by our prayers, whether or not they change our circumstances, they orient our hearts into humble submission before God's sovereign rule. It is in the very act of prayer that we admit that God knows best and will act in a way that will only ever be described as good. It is my belief that one day we will stand collectively before God and we will look back on the history of our lives and at every point along the trail, we will say, God, you are good and you did good. At every point along the trail, we will wonder at our ability to be discontent because we will see God's fatherly care. So in light of that, go to him now. Go to him with your concerns. Go to him with your heart of discontentment and ask him to give you a heart of contentment. Number three, how do we learn contentment? By knowing that our teacher is Christ. There has never been anyone on this earth that has lived a more content life than our Lord. Look back at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul commends the church, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It is only Christ in all of the world who can be said he deserved more. And yet, he was given less. He deserved glory and exaltation, but he received ridicule and humiliation. Therefore, we are to learn at the feet of Christ. Pray as Jesus did, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. It is when we survey and imitate Christ that we will truly be content. And so contentment is something to be learned. But don't miss this. Contentment is a treasure to be gained. Now, if you're familiar with the letter of Philippians, then you know that joy is a central theme of this letter. And so we want to consider the joy of contentment. But by way of warning, I want to show you the curse of discontentment. Ecclesiastes illustrates this for us well. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says this, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Ecclesiastes 6 Verse one says this, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say to you that a stillborn child is better off than he. See, the preacher of Ecclesiastes cuts to the quick. It is better to be a stillborn child than it is to be discontent with what the Lord has given you, unable to enjoy it. That is the curse of discontentment. But there is joy in contentment. And this joy in contentment leads us into joy, into the life of the next. If you have time, which I'm sure that you do because Philippians is only four chapters, go this afternoon, read this book and you will see that J Paul exhibits joy in this life in spite of his circumstances. Paul exhibits the joy that is learned through contentment in God's fatherly disposal in all situations. I mean, notice how Paul presses forward to the joy found in the next life while maintaining contentment in this one. This is what leads him to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we see here that Paul knows what it means to experience a change in circumstances. That's what he's talking about in verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. The Christian life is much like a roller coaster, experiencing altitude changes at any moment. But Paul tells us it is by contentment that we can weather these changes. And I think it's interesting how he words it here. I know how to be brought low. The image here being that he's brought low quickly. Right? When, the, when the bottom falls out, it falls out quickly. Gravity doesn't operate differently for different people. Everybody falls at the same rate of speed. But sometimes it takes us a different amount of time to, to come back to abounding, right? That's a slow and steady increase sometimes. But yet we are told to be content in all circumstances. 
And that leads us finally to the verse that has earned so much press, verse 13, the source of contentment. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, this contentment that we learn, that we experience is only brought about by the power of God strengthening us. If you were like me, then you are hard pressed to find something more difficult than the discipline of contentment. And this is true, I think in part because of how subtly pervasive discontentment dwells within our hearts. I mean, just think about the areas in your life in which you are prone to be discontent. Are you discontent with your spouse? Are you discontent with your finances? With your possessions? With your health? With your kids? With your achievements? With your status? With your church? With the opportunities that you have in this life? With your friendships? Each of these are opportunities for us to look and say, if I only had this, if my kids were only more obedient, if I only had more opportunities at work, if my finances were just increased by a small percentage, if only I had these opportunities like they do. You see how extensive this is? how this extends to every area of life. And kids, you're not exempt here. Are you content with your parents' care of your life? Are you content with your circumstances and your friendship? And we live in a world that fuels our discontentment on a daily basis through social media and advertisements. This is the message of every social media advertisement you've ever seen. If you would just have this, you would be content. This insurance policy, this car, this pair of shoes, this vacation, if only you had this, you would be content. And one thing that we face, I think most supremely in our age, in our time, is we as the church face the possibility of being discontent with the Lord's care through our government. How often are we prone to grumble and complain about the government? Sure, we can be displeased with choices that are made, with decisions that are made, with the eroding of religious liberty as it seems, although Fulton versus Philadelphia is a good trend. But how often are we to look at this and say, Lord, come what may, I'm going to be content with your providence. See, it's hard work. And so that's why Philippians 4.13 is not about football games, but a much bigger reality. Because true Christian contentment must be supernaturally fueled. It is from God alone that we will learn to be content. And it is in God alone that we will learn to be content. And we can do all these things. We can be brought low. We can abound. We can be We can have plenty, we can face hunger, we can have abundance, we can have need. But because of Christ, we can do all these things through him who strengthens us. Jeremiah Burroughs puts it this way. Of the mindset that ought to be of the Christian. Let me consider what is the duty of my present circumstances. 
and content my heart with this and say, well, though I am in a low position, yet I am serving the counsels of God in those circumstances where I am. It is the counsel of God that has brought me into these circumstances that I am in and I desire to serve the counsel of God in these circumstances. We can do all these things through him who strengthens us. Let's pray. Father, this morning we want to confess the sin of discontentment. Father, it breathes in our hearts We are prone to look at our circumstances and wish for change, wish for more. And yet we ignore that we are in our circumstances only because you have decreed them so. So help us to trust you. Help us to be content in your kind providence in our lives. Father, help us to root out the sin of discontentment and help us to trust you to be pleased with your care of our lives. Help us to see that you are our heavenly father who cares for us, who beckons us to come and to bring our petitions and concerns. Make us quick to do that. And help us to learn contentment at the foot of your son. Help us to see him as our example as well as our savior. Help us to trust you in all circumstances individually and as a church. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.